All right, everybody. We have Lisa Cornwell jumping on, author of Troublemaker, her time at Golf Channel and her life. And look, look, look at all my notes. Wow. That's how I read That's a book. Impressive. <laughs> I you, were good, book. you were a good student, weren't you? I am now. I didn't used to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Lisa, thanks. Thanks again for um, joining the podcast. I really appreciate your time and uh, your book. I want to know what's happened since the release of the book. Oh, <laughs> um, in what regard? Well, okay. The book does not portray Golf Channel and a number of people in, let's say, the best light. It might be a true light, but it's, you know, it, it shines a light on a lot of things going on, which, mm. yeah. Um, so I, that's what I want to know. Like, what kind of blowback have you gotten from Golf Channel, lawyers, whoever, Brandel Chambly, Maginella, um, among other people listed, mentioned in the book? I haven't gotten anything, to be honest. And um, the only outlet that I know uh, that has approached them was Sports Illustrated because they recently ran an article and they actually reached out to every every one of those people mentioned for comment. And they either said no comment or that they hadn't read the book, um, none of which I buy, but that's okay. I mean, I didn't, I didn't write it for them to read. Um, <clears throat> But I can promise you, if I was chapter 13 in the book, I would certainly read it. So, and I would have my lawyers read it too, um, to be quite honest. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't had blowback. I've had a lot of folks who I used to work with reach out and um, they've shown a lot of support. Uh, some of those folks had to deal with uh, some of those people directly in terms of their misbehavior. Some of them did not, but they saw it. So I would say that, um, I mean, 99%, I, I, I would say 100% of the people who have reached out to me have been, um, they've been very empathetic and understanding. They understand whether they dealt directly with those issues or not. They knew that they took place. And so, yeah, like I, I still have a lot of great friends from Golf Channel. I'm proud of those years. Um, it, it, to be quite honest, stinks that I had to write a book like this, but I did it for a very purposeful reason. Um, I would say many reasons, several reasons, but, um, you know, the story needed to get out there and, and I needed to tell it for myself. And the mm. only way to stop these things from happening as well is to talk about it. Yeah. It sounded like the book might've been some therapy mm. session in and of itself, putting that together. Yeah, I would say that that's true. It it was pretty cathartic. And when I first wrote it, I was angry. I mean, you know, when I, anybody who heard that first No Laying Out podcast mm -hmm. uh, shortly after my contract ended and I could speak publicly, you could tell that I was angry. I mean, I go back and listen to it and I do sound angry. I don't, I don't carry that with me now. Thankfully, it took a little bit of time to let some of that go. But uh, it was, it was cathartic, not just from the Golf Channel perspective, but writing about a lot of things, as you know, because you have the book uh, that I dealt with in my younger life that, you know, reliving it, I think was good. And I started to remember more things as I wrote it. It was an interesting process, I will say, you know, I'm not a writer by trade, but um, yeah, it was, I, I'm certainly glad that I went through it. It was, uh, it was good for me in a lot of different ways. 
Yeah. Earlier in the book, you have, you come across like you have a real um, sense or uh, empathy for like whenever un injustices are done to people. Uh, yeah. I, I guess like, how, where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, I've always kind of been a defender of people. I tell the story about the three iron in the book. When That's I saw what I was thinking the, about. Because you're, woman, how tall yeah. are you? You're not a, you're not a, you know. A, I'm, five a, a, foot, I'm five foot four, but I'm stronger than I, you know, than I look. <laughs> well, you <laughs> I'm, took I'm some guy's like you, shin but, out with the three iron. <laughs> well, you know how the hosels on those old muscle bag blades used to be. I mean, I, I had a, it was a Mizuno MP14. So that thing was serious. You know, I used to be a pretty good ball striker. So, oh. um, those were uh, those were some good clubs, but they were all also serious. I mean, you know, for golfers, we we kind of know we know how to use them and we know how to grip it on the shaft to do some damage. And so it was my it was my defense mechanism breaking up that fight. Well, for someone to be even carrying a Mizuno MP fourteen three iron says says something in and of itself. <laughs> I, I don't carry that anymore. I promise. I recently let the five iron go and put a five hybrid in. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I fought it. I fought it forever, but you know, the six hybrids never going in. I do have a little bit of, I still have a little bit of an ego, even though my golf game's horrible, but um, look, you couldn't do damage. I couldn't defend myself with a five hybrid. <laughs> I could defend myself with, with, even with a five iron, I could defend myself with that. So that just, that tells you all you need to know. I love that. I mean, I love that it, when I was reading that part about the book, that's what really struck me is like, man, Lisa's really, there's something in her that when something isn't right, you you jump in action. I mean, obviously you spoke up writing this book and you spoke up at the time at Golf Channel numerous times. Yeah. Like looking back, like, would you do anything different? I would have, you know, honestly, my only regret, I think, is, and it's hard to, you, you've read the book, so you know that sort of recapping these stories is difficult to do. I wish that I would have called a lawyer after the Thailand incident when they tried to take me off of the CME Group Tour Championship and then figured out that they had really screwed up and then quickly put me back on. Um, I still thought that my bosses... Um, by the way, who, who are married, Molly Solomon and Jeff Russell are mentioned a lot in that mm -hmm. book. I still thought that they were allies and that they were on my side. And looking back now, it's pretty clear that they kind of, I don't know if I can say that they orchestrated what happened, but they certainly had to approve it. You can't take somebody off of a tournament for a personal relationship reason without, you know, the, the people at the top approving it. You, you just wouldn't do that as a sort of a mid-level employee. Yeah. So since you brought that up, I'll, I'll ask the question like what? And for people, you just got to read the book because that's an interesting. Yeah, and there's yeah. so much to it regarding even Sergio and his now wife. I mean, it goes back that far. But knowing all that, well, I guess I had a couple of few number of questions with that. Why? Why post the picture of you on Facebook in the, to begin with, you know, knowing knowing what you knew about Sergio and his wife, Angela? Um, because Sarah didn't play on the LPGA tour. She had lost her card and at golf channel, I'd never covered an LET event. Um, Sergio obviously, um, at the time was still playing on the PGA tour and was a big time name. And what I was told when the issue with Sergio and Angela came up, it was compromising Angela's, you know, quote unquote, journalistic integrity, because if she had to interview him, that, uh, 
if she had to interview him, then, you know, they thought that maybe she would be biased. Mm -hmm. So because, well, first of all, I mean, you should be able to post a photo if you want. Um, But secondly, because I wasn't trying to hide it. I didn't, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even think anything about it because like I said, Sarah had lost her card and wasn't playing on the LPGA tour where the problem came in was when they went to her Facebook profile and it said works at LPGA because she, you know, she doesn't change it. And so that's when they said, oh, wait, she does work for the LPGA tour. or she, she has her, they tried to tell me that by playing in 12 events of a 36 event schedule, that she was a full-time player. Yeah. And that's where I called them out. I was like, look guys, you have no idea how professional golf operates. That's kind of embarrassing that you're, you're high up at golf channel and you don't know how this works. Uh, many of those, many of those tournaments, like I said, in the book, she had gotten in based on her status on the LET or her status in Australia, it didn't even qualify her based on the LPGA. The others that she got in was just because the entrants were so far down on the list that, you know, you could have been 160 on last year's money list and gotten in. Yeah. Do you think the fact that you were in Thailand and the time difference was so great that like, cause they could have called you and said, Hey, Lisa, can you pull that down or, or giving you a heads up or, said something do you think that and the fact that you posted and then went to bed and no because it wasn't nobody was trying to protect me or saying take that down it was like a gotcha moment you know that's that's when all the gossip sort of started in the newsroom like like we got her you know we found something that we can that we can take to to the top brass and get her in in trouble somehow and that's when they tried to do it and then they realized that that they had messed up and they needed to kind of backpedal and put you back out they there. Had to backpedal. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. What, um, talking about even stuff, let's, let's just talk about stuff like not in the book. Cause I want people to read the book and kind of, you know, hear it from your, you know, you, you can't recount every story in the whole book, which, which are great. I love the moments of you in junior golf. Like the, that's incredible. Like I think a lot of uh, my viewers, can look at that and because they have kids, you know, they're raising their kids. And uh, what, like, what, what made you love golf to begin with? What makes any of us love golf? I mean, torture, the torture. Yeah, we're crazy. <laughs> um, no, I loved it. Like, I just, as, as a kid who played every sport that there was, um, there was something about golf. It was, it was the only, it was the only sport where I was out there on my own. And even though I love team sports, I love playing them. There was something about the work ethic of this, of the, being an individual player and my success or failure was all dependent on me. And so, I mean, I would go to the range and, you know, I would, I was there from sun up until sundown. And then, yeah. you know, all, all my friends over the club, all of which really were guys. I mean, I grew up playing golf with guys. So, I mean, we just had a blast. We would, we would pull our car out to the putting green at night and turn the lights on. I mean, when I say that to anybody who's played golf, we all get it right. We've all done that. And so it was just, there was something special about the game and it's still special, but um, yeah, so many great memories. And that was a fun part of writing the book. I love it. You grew up like in junior golf at like one of probably well, we can go back in history, one of the most pivotal times in all of golf history, because you and Tiger are virtually the same age. And so you're playing at all these, and you're a (laughs) high level player. You're not just some, you know, 
knucklehead out there just happened to be at that you were in a lot of the same all the, like the top level world championship ajga events with tiger and you know other players as and a lot of other great players too like besides the pine cone story because you wrote about that with tiger and his dad like what else like what other moments do you recall with other players maybe tiger or whoever else that you came across oh man so many i mean you know we uh <laughs> I could tell so many good stories about Tiger. He could about me too. He always calls, it still does. It's funny. Every time I see him, he still calls me cornball, which is so <laughs> funny. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, we, you know, it's like any kids playing junior golf. You just, you, you forge these friendships. I mean, Tiger Woods wasn't the greatest player of all time when we grew up playing. He's just another kid who played golf, you mm -hmm. know, he's really skinny kid and, we all love to play ping pong. We played on the initial Cannon Cup teams on the AJGA. Yeah. And we were on the West side. It's now the uh, the Wyndham Cup, I believe. But so it was East versus West. And, you know, we just, we all formed this incredible bond that you do in these team events when you play golf. And, you know, Tiger and I, for some reason, we would always, we would always get to the tournament sites late. Uh, he would fly in from, California and I would fly you know my dad usually had to work and my dad took me so we would fly in later those days and we played a lot of late afternoon practice mm -hmm. rounds together so I got to know Tiger well through that I got to know his dad Colonel Woods because of that and Colonel Woods he loved to teach the game of golf you know he would yeah. he would get out there and I tell some of those stories in the book but um yeah just some some great memories I'm very fortunate and you know, to be able to see he, Tiger's still Tiger to me. He's not this superstar. And, you know, we mm -hmm. kind of, when we, when we're around each other, like I say in the book, we, we talk about how old we're getting now. And I tease him every year on his birthday. I'll tell him, I'm like, you know, um, you'll always beat me in major championships, but I'll always be older. So it, it's kind of our, it's kind of our back and forth, but you know, I love the guy. I'm proud of him. And, um, I'm glad that I'm glad to be able to share some of those stories. Yeah. That's gotta be cool to know possibly the greatest player ever, you know, at that early age, do you, do you like, and that's, so you like, when you look at golf today, like, what do you, what do you see the, where do you see it heading versus what you grew up with? Um, That's a good question. I think that golf's in really great shape. Um, I wish that I could say women's golf was in as great a shape. Maybe it will happen. I think that, you know, the women's game really needs a boost of a superstar. Maybe Rojang is, is that player. Hmm. Um, when I was she at Golf Channel, win. she did just win. It was a great storyline. I mean, when I was at Golf Channel watching Lexi play when she was, when she was dominating was certainly something to behold. And I would love to see Lexi get back on because I still think that she's a ratings magnet. So, you know, look, I think golf's in, I think it's in good shape. I really do. I think that, um, I think that more people are, are getting interested in it and, you know, we've just got to keep getting it to, to communities mm -hmm. where, you know, it's not, it's not this upper echelon sport. It's, it's an expensive sport. It takes a long time and we have to figure that out. Why do you think, I mean, maybe you mentioned it, they need a name women's the, the women's golf like why, why do you think they're kind of struggling along versus well, well the men's game is getting fragmented but it's still doing pretty well 
Yeah, yeah. but why, why is the why is this women's golf? It, it kind of goes and then it, it it drops off. I think you need a superstar, number one. I think that you need a network partner that really cares about showcasing the event properly. So if you watch women's golf, the broadcast is really lacking. And I don't mean that to mm-hmm. um, to criticize the on-air people. They're doing the best that they can with with what they have to work with. But just from a just from a, the standpoint of cameras, audio, production, it's just lacking. And then you look at broadcast times and it's what they're on for a couple hours and then they go to streaming. That's not really a good way to, to bring people in. So, like, I think that they do well. Um, I think when they play on opposite coasts, it helps. I think that when the PGA Tour is on the East Coast, the LPGA Tour is on the West Coast you probably get a lot of viewers late at night who see more LPGA golf just because they're starved for, for, mm. for competition to watch. So I wish that that would be something that would be more possible. Um, I think if you got them on opposite coast playing and then you up the, the production quality, I think that you would see viewership go up. But I will say there is a responsibility with the players too. I think that, you know, as American sports fans or just sports fans in gen- general, we love to see excitement. We love to see enthusiasm. I mean, you know, I work for PGA Tour Live now, and and I get Jordan Spieth in my featured group a lot. I mean, is there anybody more entertaining to watch than Jordan Spieth? You can just mic the guy up, never say a word. He does talk and, a lot. <laughs> and and you would buy a ticket to it. Like it's incredible. And and most of the women aren't like that. I think that I think that you know, like you can't force people to have these these um incredible dynamic personalities but mm-hmm. maybe it's something that they could talk about within the tour and in ways that they could also play a role and a responsibility in growing their tour as well what do you think about um live golf coming on the scene over the last i guess did you what where did you begin hearing about their rumors i guess you probably were a golf channel at the time no i was i wasn't um i think i probably just heard about it the way everybody else did. But I will say um, Jerry Foltz, who is now an on-air announcer for Liv, is a, a good friend of mine. And he was gracious enough to call me and say, look, I know how anti-Saudi you are. And he said, I've, I've taken this job and I'm going to announce it pretty soon. So it was tough. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's tough. And I think, you know, a lot of people make good points. They talk about China and they talk about all these geopolitical involvement issues with America and Saudi Arabia as a woman and a, and a woman who speaks out regularly about gender equality, there's no way that I can support Saudi. You can throw China and all these other places. And I, I, I will tell you this, if the LPGA goes back to China, especially after learning what, what we've learned recently, mm-hmm. I will be the first person to speak out. So um, I don't, I don't criticize the players individually unless they unless they just deny that they've taken the money i mean we all know why they're doing it so just be like carol barner the third and say look i'm just taking the money you know don't don't say i'm trying to grow the game we all know that that's bs but i'm not anti the players i'm just anti-saudi i'm anti-live i'm anti anything that has to do with mbs and you know um i don't know i just i wouldn't do anything that that gave me a direct check from the government of Saudi Arabia. So, okay. So you and Brandel Chambly find common ground with in, in regards <laughs> to live there. 
Yeah, except for I'm not going to sit there and continue to crucify Phil. It's just like, I don't agree with what Phil's done. I don't agree with what Phil said, but I don't feel the need to continue to stomp on his head and use a platform to, you know, to call the guy out. Why don't, why don't you spend your time, if you're going to be critical, why don't you spend your time criticizing MBS and the government of Saudi Arabia and what they continue to do in their, in their human rights uh, category? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I think that it's just, it's, it's, it's gone past the point of ridiculous. Yeah. Interesting. I've, I know I've been to a few live events and checked it out. I got a lot of blowback and pushback from fans of, of my channel and stuff uh, when I did that. And I mean, whatever. I mean, everybody has their, their opinion. I'd respect that. I think, um, uh, I think I, I would say I, I do like the product they put out there. I think it's very watchable. Um, and so like you, do you think a format like that would help the LPGA tour? I don't like it. I, no, I don't I, like, no, I don't like it. And it's not, that doesn't have anything to do with live golf. I'm just not a fan of it. I, I, I don't want to see a 54 hole shotgun start with team formats. And I mean, it kind of got even with the, the international crowd. And by the way, Sarah played for Australia and they came in second, but the numbers on the back of the jerseys and that that's not golf to me. So mm. maybe I'm more of a traditionalist in that, in that way. Right. It's just, it's not a format for me, but it may be a format for you. So if you like it, then that's okay. I mean, we each, we like what we like, you know, I, I don't watch NASCAR. I like formula one, but you may be a NASCAR guy. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not gonna be like, I can't believe you watch NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch either of those either way. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you, what do you think um, about, let's say the Ryder cup, um, discussion i know so your friend brandel chambly and brad faxon had a little um heated uh discussion there on on golf channel that was very riveting to watch regarding the players i don't know if you saw that you probably saw it i'm sure yeah, but yeah. what do you, what's your take on that well just to clarify with your viewers you that was sarcasm when you said my friend brandel chambly in case people very don't know um, <laughs> i look if if brooks is if he if he's qualified then he's on the team i mean faxon was absolutely right this is not a pga tour event it's a pga of america event so if he's an automatic qualifier you can't deny him that and then i mean whatever the captain chooses to do is is up to him if he's not an automatic qualifier i just i don't know i think that i think that um i think the media is is building up that that controversy that the players don't necessarily see as being there, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, right now what Brooks is, is he first or second on the list? He's up there. I think he's second. He's up there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if it ended today, he should be on the team. Do you think these live players should be allowed to play? I don't think they should be allowed in PGA tour events, obviously, but in major championships as well. Um, that's a good question. It's, I mean, look, you're going to have past champions who are, who are part of it, right? Sergio won the masters that comes with a lifetime exemption. Patrick Reed won the masters. Phil did, you know, um, I think that they've earned the right to be there. And look, I, you know, again, I hate the fact that, that golf has been so disrupted with what Liv has done. I hated the lawsuits. 
um, there's a lot to it. And I think that it's caused this big division. I don't think it's been good for golf in, in any way. Um, but I also, I don't know how you say no to those, to those guys who have earned that spot to be there by virtue of, of being past champions. I don't think Liv should get official world golf ranking points simply because it's 54 holes. I mean, I don't know how, how you do it. If it, if it was 72 holes and you could do it based on strength of the field, I mean, you only have what 48 players, your points awarded aren't going to be much, but I could see, I could see them getting world ranking points in a 72 hole event. I think it would be really hard to deny that 54 holes. You just, you can't do it. You can't do it. How many 54 hole events are there on the PGA tour? Not too many. Zero. <laughs> it's about right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. I know they, they, maybe they'll, maybe they'll switch it up. I don't know. It kind of goes against their whole model, I guess, but yeah. Is it, does it live stand for 54? It does. In Roman numerals. So L -I -V, it's like, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't understand that whole, they had to have thought that out ahead of time. And I, I you thought know, the I, world I, ranking points would uh, get worked out. Yeah. I, I don't know how you make that argument at 54 holes. Nobody's convinced me of it so far. Do you think the um their format and their schedule is what a, like allowed like a Phil to play well at the Masters and Brooks to win the PGA Championship? Do you think that Maybe. helped them? Maybe. I mean, look, they both um Phil's Phil's older. How old is Phil now? 53. Yeah, and 50, yeah. And Brooks has dealt with injury. I mean, that very well could be the case. And look, if if that's the case for them, more power to them. I mean, I just think that there are there are repercussions for the choices that you make. And I don't think that I don't really think that Phil or Brooks they're not they're not trying to get into um, into these other events. Sorry, my phone was ringing. Um, I don't think that they're the ones really making the case for it. But again, those two players are exempt into a lot of these majors, you know, yeah. where it starts to affect guys. I mean, you're looking at a Mark Leishman, you're looking at Harold Varner, the third, you're looking at a Matthew Wolf, or I don't know how you, how you make that decision. If you're still chasing this dream of, of winning majors to take the live money. I mean, you know, these are guys who aren't dealing with injury. So, but again, yeah. they make their choices for themselves and, you know, I'm not here to criticize them, but, um, yeah, I do think that sometimes there are repercussions to the choices that we make. And I think a lot of those guys have accepted it. Some haven't, but some yeah. have. I mean, again, nobody's had a better approach to it than than Harold. I think that he has been sort of the model for how it should be. He's like, look, I've taken my money. I know that I know that I can't play PGA tour events. I know it may restrict me from some majors because I'm not qualified based on world rankings. And that's that's what I accept. I knew that going in. So I think that, I think that he's kind of the example that we should all look to, to how you should handle it. He's yeah. I got to play a pro-am with him out at a live event. He was, uh, he was one of my favorite guys. Like yeah, he's, he's cool probably guy. my favorite tour pro I ever played with. Yeah. I haven't played with that he, many, he's but great. he's great. <laughs> he's great. I mean, he's one of those players. Harold could shoot 80 and he'll still stay and, and sign for the kids. And I love that. I mean, I think that it was a big loss for the PGA tour. I know, I know a lot of us miss seeing him out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, he's a good watch. He's a good dude. What, um, going back to, let, let's say your college age, you wrote about it in the book about having a divorce with the game of golf. And yeah. 
I don't know if you, you didn't get too deep into it other than the kind of that and that you, you, maybe what you were homesick or whatever was going on. I know college is, is a tough, people think playing college sports is great. It's, it's a grind. And, yeah. but what was it like, what do you think it was that really, I don't know, did you lose your love for the game? Like what, what was it? What happened? Yeah, I think that, I think a lot of things were going on. I think I was trying to figure myself out and I was really having these internal battles and one of the things that sort of suffered was my my love of golf and i don't i don't i can't really explain why it happened i do talk in detail about some of the struggles that i had as a young adult dealing with an eating disorder and later going to therapy you know a lot of young women and even even some men deal with those things yeah. so it was really sort of a self discovery period that everything else just just went away and mm. I was sort of shifting into this this new person in this new world and trying to figure it out and struggling and it was hard for me I mean I, I felt like a failure I felt like I had let my parents down all the people at my club all the people in my state who had supported me and had all these high expectations over the years and you know, when you're a 20 year old kid and you're used to everybody congratulating you and telling you how great you are, you know, we love those pats on the back and all of a sudden they weren't there anymore. And mm -hmm. it was, it was something that I really struggled with for a long time and had to figure it out. Yeah. If you had to do it different, what do you think you'd make any different changes maybe before that or during that time, or do you think it, it played out like how it's, how it should have? I think it played out how it should have. I don't think I'd be here talking to you. I don't know what I would be doing, but I do think that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing now. And, you know, I try not to have a whole lot of regrets. Um, I, I write in the book and I think I, I put in the, in the book that I sent to Angela Akins, who's now Angela Garcia. One of my regrets through the whole process was, you know, especially as being the person who was always the defender of people, mm -hmm. I regret not standing up for her more than I did. I think that during that whole period, but when I look back to my childhood and early adulthood, when I was going through all this, no, I don't regret any of that, even though it was incredibly difficult and uh, I was really struggling. I think that, you know, going through all those things then eventually going to therapy led me down this path and to where I am today. So in a way, I'm grateful for it. I really am because, uh, you know, I learned a lot of lessons and I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people and setting boundaries and sort of figuring some of those things out. So, no, I'm, I'm actually I'm grateful for it, as odd as that sounds. Good. Boundaries are good. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at those <laughs> to my detriment sometimes. Uh, I had to work hard to get that. I'm glad you're good at it. <laughs> my wife's always asking, what would you do? I said, I'd say, no, say no, say no. You can always say yes later. <laughs> I'm better at it now. I'm, I'm good at it now. I was not good at it before. So a lot, like that's where I think, you know, a lot of, let's say parents raising kids, it didn't sound like there was anything that your parents like pressured you to golf or to they put these unrealistic expectations on you uh because uh, you, you compare that to tiger man that's what a lot of parents try to do and all these kids i've seen them like grown up i've seen kid after kid just burn out because yeah. of because their their dads are trying to be earl woods yeah and yeah it my dad seem was, like your parents were um, like that at all 
No, not, not one bit. Um, first of all, I could beat my dad in golf when I was a kid. So he couldn't say anything in that way, but they didn't have to pressure me. I wanted to go practice. Wow. You know, I was, I was waking up begging them to take me to the golf course. So um, I think that it was, it was just, it was a big surprise when all of a sudden I had this big love for the game. And then it, to me, looking back, it felt like it just went away in an instant. I wish that I could sort of go back and to that time and trace back those steps and when it actually happened. But I think that, I think that just some of my, my focus changed. Um, you know, I talk mm -hmm. about getting this exercise addition and this, this whole eating disorder that I was dealing with. And I just think that it blurred the lines for me. It's, it's hard to describe. It's hard to explain. Um, and I lived through it and it's hard to explain. Yeah. That was real like vulnerable of you to share all that. Cause I know it's not easy, you know, going through that, especially at that age and then going back and rewriting it, you it had to touch on a lot of emotions that maybe were under the surface. Yeah. I would, I can only imagine. And then, but okay. So girls going, growing up, today with social media, which it wasn't there back then. Like what kind of advice would you give them? I can't, I can't imagine being a parent of, of a teenager or a college age girl right now, or even a, a, a 20 something, because there is this, there is this reflection that you see on, on social media that everybody's perfect. I mean, you, if you pull up Instagram and, people are taking these selfies and they're always, you know, they have their makeup on and then they're in these perfect locations or these perfect edited photos. You know, you never see anybody just post a photo waking out of, you know, waking up out of bed and, you know, we look horrible, like the real life it's Instagram's not real life. And so I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for, for young people now in this day and age of social media and the pressures to be perfect. I always said that this is the only book that I'll ever write. And it is mm. the only book that I will ever write. But if I ever wrote another book, it would be that perfection's overrated. And it is. I think that it's overrated in every single aspect of our lives because it's the imperfection that really helps us grow as human beings. And perfection is just, it's a, it's a dream. It's, you know, it doesn't exist in golf. It doesn't exist in, in any aspect of, mm. of life, but social media puts off and portrays these perfect images of people that are just not attainable. So I don't know. I mean, I'm really glad that social media didn't exist when I was a kid. I wish it didn't exist now, really. I mean, after spending almost two weeks since the book launched on Twitter, oh, no. I, 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 I'm, I'm worn out. It's, you know, it, it it's not that good for your soul. I've noticed since I've gotten into the, let's say, you know, social media world of golf, which was by, uh, desperation, you know, like nothing good ever happened in my life because great things happen. It's because I was broke, desperate, destitute. Like I had to like right. pave a way for myself. So it's good for people. Um, but I've noticed you let me know, like the worst comments I get are on TikTok. I mean, followed by Twitter. And so like those seem to be where the the most of the trolls hang out. Yeah, I don't have a TikTok account. Good for you. So yeah, I don't, I, I just, it's too much for me. I have Instagram, but I barely do anything on it. Twitter is just, uh, I, you know, it's funny because you learn the patterns on Twitter. So when I post something kind of controversial, which happens quite often, 
You sound like a Especially controversial, uh, it, it follows you. Controversy <laughs> follows Lisa Cornwell. Well, I hope not. I hope not. I think if you meet me, it really doesn't. But <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm not afraid to say things. So why not just say it on Twitter and, and let people attack you? But they really come out at night. So you'll wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and that's where all the hate is. You know, it's all overnight where they where they live. And it's usually from you know, like Johnny B one, four, eight, six, nine <laughs> with no photo and no tweets. So I've, I've gotten better at ignoring them. Sometimes I respond, but I try not to. It's a crazy world. Okay. What's your thoughts on, so your, your current job at, with, with, with PGA tour, correct? Mm-hmm. And what are you, you're doing internet? What are you doing? I'm uh, I basically play by play for for the PGA Tour live broadcast on ESPN Plus. So, you know, we have four different streams, and I usually work one, two, or three. Um, stream two is my favorite because it's the it's the marquee group coverage, and so it's just you and an analyst and on course walker, and you just get there, get to talk golf all day. And you know, I'm still a golf nerd. I I, mm-hmm. I, I dive in deep, and I love to tee the analyst up and watch them break down swings and, you know, dissect, dissect the rounds. You really, you get to dive in deep. It's PGA tour live is for the true golf fanatic. And I love that. I do geek out there a lot. I got to admit that's my dream job. I did apply back starting in 1995 to golf channel numerous times, year after year after year. And um, I got one letter or like in 95, they just said, thanks, but no, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> which was horrible. I had a journalism degree and I worked in Hollywood as a, um, an editor. So I, I would say I, would I too now, have an ax to grind. I, I would, I would hurt you. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't help you there, but come join no, us at PGA Tour Live. We have, we have a good time. What's your thoughts on the, the internet boom, the YouTube boom of golf, social media golf in that space? I mean, it's, Every day, there's a hundred new golf channels out there. I can't keep up. I mean, honestly, I will. Um, it's so funny, and I, I don't really know the exact channels that you're talking about. I do know that they exist. What is it like? Uh, good, good. They've they've exploded, right? They're blown up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, but I mean, look online at, at different instruction videos. I mean, it's so funny. I got on TrackMan the other day, other day, and this is how I still kind of geek out on golf, and I try not to. Um, but man, I I love TrackMan. It's like a love hate relationship. And so I, I was my um, my attack angle with my driver. It's it's just too steep, especially with my swing speed, and I you know I constantly struggle with it. And I'm on YouTube trying to Google drills. Well, you must have found how, it. How to, yeah, right. And finally, I looked, I was sitting in, in my garage on, on Google uh, or YouTube on my phone. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I play golf 10 times a year. And I think that because I just YouTube some video that I can, I can figure out how to reduce this attack angle. So it was just, you know, it, you can get so deep in the weeds on stuff and spend all day. I try to stay off of it. Did it work? Um, Did you fix no, it? No. You didn't fix it? No. What's your attack angle? Uh, it, it was, it was about plus three and a half. No, you're like a professional. No, 
like hitting down three yeah 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 oh my god yeah i was down three and that's and guys are like that which you know the guys are steeper with the drivers than girls are but if you if you go to the lpga tour they're pretty much at zero because they really need they need to be able to launch it up in the air and the guys you know because the swings have more width to it they can be a little bit steeper and it works for them it does not work if your swing speed's 95 miles an hour my Trust attack me. angle is up four to five degrees just i see we're geeking out on golf swing now which is crazy <laughs> wow yeah I, I hit that's up on good, it though. which is weird that's good that's good maybe it's because i'm short well right. how tall are you i'm like five seven okay yeah so see oh. that's yeah that's how you maximize it that's how you maximize your carry and you're I right. Do. Actually, you're you're right. Now, look, thinking back at the charts, you're right. I think the average on the LPGA tour is up three and a half. Yeah. And I was, I was down. I wasn't that steep. I was, um, I was at, I was at three or two and a half. Wow. Negative. Yeah. So what do you? Okay, what's the future for Lisa Cornwell? Give me the next. Like, is there another fight you're getting in? Now, I don't want to say fight in a bad way. I mean, a good way. Cause no. you do have this, um, like I'm similar. Like I, I see things I don't like. I'm like, I gotta say something. This is wrong. And so I do appreciate that. Like people who speak up and like willing to like, like I always say shoot for, like, I don't want to say shoot, but like shoot first, ask questions later, Yeah. you know, and, and shoot. I mean, like, I mean like with the camera, like that's what I do. I'm like, let's just shoot it and we'll figure it out later. Yeah. And sometimes that gets us in trouble. No, I don't, I don't want to have any more fights in me. I want to, um, I want to focus on, on the positive things, hopefully that come out of this book. I've had a lot of women reach out to me and whether they're comfortable with speaking up or not, some of them want to, some of them don't, but I just want to be able to talk to women. And I don't know if that's by virtue of, you know, some sort of speaking engagements with companies or, or or women's groups around the country. I don't know what, I don't really know what the future holds, but I do hope that it's more in the lines or along the lines of, Hey, this is, this is my story. Um, we all have some sort of story. What's your story. And if they're struggling with, with how to deal with it, um, you know, I want to be able to, to share my message and to talk to them in some way. Would you say your experience as a female you know, report journalist with Golf Channel was, um, was it similar for, I, it's hard. I don't want to, yeah. I mean, was it similar for the other women who worked there? A lot of women. Yeah. I mean, anybody who read that Washington post article after they did the, um, the investigative, uh, reporting, uh, what they, they talked to 18 other women. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it was company wide. It's, it's, it was definitely a culture that was in place that had been in place for a while and nobody had ever stopped it. And I will say, people ask me all the time, well, how do you make it better? I work at PGA Tour Live and the culture there now is great, but it's great because the people at the top, they care about, they care about the people who work there. And I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about everybody across the board. They don't, they don't accept egos or bad attitudes or anything like that. You'll be shown the door. And it's, it's pretty well known. And I appreciate that so much. In fact, we all talk about that a lot, how great it is and how different, how different it is from working at Golf Channel. Cause I work there with a lot of folks who I used to work with at Golf Channel. And it's so funny, you know, we'll, we'll sit around at lunch and say, isn't it crazy how there's no screaming, you know, there's no yelling, there's no, 
cursing people out. Like it's incredible. It's they've done a great job with uh, Greg Hoppy, the EP and Jackie Petty running the place. I mean, they, they really care about treating people right. And it shows, I mean, we all appreciate it. That's great. What's, what would be the, let's say this, give us the warning signs of somebody. Cause obviously day one, you don't walk in and they're all of a sudden there it is. Cause you might've just walked right out. Like what, what do people, women or men or whoever need to be on the lookout for, you know, when they enter these situations? Yeah, it's that's a tough one. You're right. It sometimes it takes a little time. I mean, like the red flags for me were raised with Shambly early on. The problem was I didn't realize how much power he had at the network. You know, you don't think mm-hmm. that an on-air analyst can get you hired or fired, um, but he certainly has been able to do that over the years. I mean, a lot of his a lot of his buddies work at Golf Channel. His wife works at Golf Channel. Um, and then as I write about in the book, what I knew I wanted to hire a lawyer was the admission by one of my coworkers telling me that Randall admittedly had been after the executive producer for years to get rid of me. And then it happened. So it's okay at Golf Channel to date a fellow employee, but you can't date somebody from a tour that you cover. I guess. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's <laughs> right. also sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about the husband and wife team of the executive producer and the man running the newsroom operations? You know, I guess- right there and the, I write in the book about how when they gave him that role, they had to give him the title of SVP just so he didn't report directly to his wife, which is insane in this day and age that it would happen. I guess those would be the red flags to watch out for. Yeah. You know, if, if, if things like that are happening in the, in the workplace. I mean, I had, a, I worked in that Hollywood for a number of years. There was a lot of screaming going on. There was a yeah. lot of all kinds of stuff going on. And so it's, it definitely has been, hap- obviously everybody knows the Hollywood scandals that are out there. And it, it goes on. At places like, I guess, you know, Golf Channel as well. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, which is, you know, why why a book was necessary. Hopefully it helps some of it. Well, Lisa, thanks for joining the podcast and everybody go get your copy of Troublemaker. Are you a troublemaker? No. Well, a good a good troublemaker. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Nelson Mandela's African birth name translates to troublemaker. So wow. um, that's a, a nice little piece of history there. I mean, we think about the the late congressman from, from Georgia, John Lewis, who always talked about making good trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, my definition of troublemaker is not what most folks would think it, it is. It's just mainly talking about these issues that people don't want to talk about for fear of of getting in trouble for lack of a better way of saying it. So I've never been that person to remain silent. Um, I've never been the person to be afraid of, of challenging wrongdoing. And so if, if by definition that makes me a troublemaker, I gladly take it on. I like troublemakers, you know, um, because you got to bring, if you don't talk about it, if you don't bring stuff up, that's what gets people that that's, that hurts people down the line later. And well, so, that's why the culture never changed at Golf Channel yeah. because nobody talked about it. Nobody did anything about it. They just suffered in silence. And 
um, I'm I'm just not one to suffer in silence. So I'm going to take the uh, I'm going to take the three iron, whether it's you know literally or figuratively, and try to do something about it. I love it. You 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 took out a shin with that three iron. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I tried to use a three iron now to to actually hit a golf ball, I would take out something. Not on purpose. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. That was a great story. I mean, I, and I've seen, you know, I, it's funny because I've seen so many people freeze up in those moments and never uh, jump in and do anything. And you're like, you know, I've, you know, I've jumped in in situations like that and I've seen other people, but there's always been a group of people just stand around. And I don't know what some people don't have that instinct to, to react in, in those moments. And so well, and think about in this day and age, how many times you, you mentioned YouTube, how many times do you see people with their phone recording a fight or recording abuse rather than doing something about it? And I'm not just talking about something where the police are involved. I mean, you see it on on the subway all the time, different incidents. It just drives me crazy. You know, they'll pick up yeah. their phone and record it, but but they're 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 too afraid to to stop it. I, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. It's human nature, unfortunately, to stand there and watch or to, in this day and age to record it, to post it on your, you know, Instagram account so that you can get a couple likes that, yeah. that I don't get, but I'm glad there's people like you out there, Lisa, that carry wields a uh, pretty mean three iron. <laughs> well, I need it. I need it, especially these days. I need a three iron. You may not need it. You're stronger than me, but I do I not hit the, a three iron. I need the weapon. <laughs> I don't hit a three iron anymore. I or barely a four. I use a big fat, you know, driving four iron. So one of the best inventions ever. It's like cheating. So I can't. Yeah. I can't get a three iron off the ground anymore. I know they're intimidating. They are intimidating. So thanks, Lisa, for joining us. Get the book. I'll leave a link in the video description below. I appreciate your time. Keep up the troublemaking fights. Hopefully there's not many more in your future, but I'm sure you'll you'll get to share your experience all over the place. I appreciate you having me.